Hi. Um, this it, today is Thursday, uh, January fifth, two thousand seventeen. This is the Fiction Old and New Book Group. Um, tonight we're discussing Elizabeth Polina's "As Close to Us as Breathing." Um, I wasn't able to find too much information about her, but I did. I did find a little bit. Um, she uh, teaches creative writing at Hollings University in Roanoke, Virginia, and she's the author of three books. Uh, two are novels, and one is a book of poetry. And tonight's book is as close to us as breathing. And um, I'm going to turn it over to Sherry now. She's going to go over the characters. Uh, hi. Uh, yeah, the characters. Looks like Sherry may have gotten kicked out again. Her her uh, icon next to her name had some kind of X through it or a slash through it or something. So uh, I guess we'll wait for her to come back in. Yes, I, I, I wasn't hearing anything either, so thank you very much. Um, so I, I'll just go through a couple of the characters, and if I leave anybody out, we'll, we'll catch up later. Um, there were three sisters. There's Ada, there's Vivi or Vivian, and then there was Beck, who I think would be short for Rebecca. And Ada was married to Mort, and they had three children. They had Howard, and they had Molly. Molly was actually the narrator of the story, and then Davy. And then Vivian was married to Leo, and I don't think they had any children. No, no, they had one child, I'm sorry, Nina. And then there was Beck, who was married to Nelson, and they, they didn't have any children. And there were also, uh, um, Beck had a relationship with Tyler McManus, who was her employer. And Howard had a relationship with Megan, who we didn't really get to know too well. And there was the man who uh, had the ice cream truck, whose name is escaping me. And I'm probably leaving out some other some other characters. So um, why don't we get started by just ask? I just wanted to ask if there was a, a favorite female or a favorite male character that you had in the story. And um, if so, what was it about that character that you found particularly interesting? This is Sherry. I'm sorry. This is the second time I've got cut off, and we're only in here ten minutes. Um, I sounds like Michelle finished the characters. Uh, the only other character, the ice cream truck guy's name was Sal. And I was going to ask people um, what they thought of the book. She went out again, I think. Uh, the character, of course, I, this was a great book. I must say, if I may, before I give you my character, I thought, well, it's kind of a Jewish tree grows in Brooklyn, which is nice, nice, sweet little book. And, Michelle, I believe you're of the Jewish faith. Maybe I tried to get Joni Leonard in because I want to hear more about the cultural things, you know, the differences. Like, Mort was very rigid. Oh, my goodness. You know, and uh, I hope we get into that. But my, my favorite uh, was Molly. Molly was an narrator. Molly had great insight. Uh, and I'm going to hang up. I'm going to stop because i got to stop the call here. I'll go through and, and next and, and, and give my uh, uh, give a negative impression. I, I, I didn't like the, the book. Uh, I just did not get drawn in to any of the characters. And uh, I read like six hours and 40 minutes of it. It was, it was a 12-hour and change book. And I just I, I kept giving it time 
And, and to me, when you're reading a story that's got like the minutia of day-to-day life, if you don't care about any of the characters, it's kind of like reading people's status updates on Facebook. It's like totally uninteresting. So uh, I realize that's 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 Alan's opinion, but uh, uh, that's just how I felt about it. I, I you know, I, I I got so tired of hearing all these references to Davy dying, Davy dying. I kept wondering. I mean, is that going to be the hook that's supposed to draw me in? It, it just never did. And uh, uh, and I, I don't know what happened in the end, but I, they seem to be kind of making some references to to maybe Howard and uh, uh, Nina maybe having feelings for each other, maybe beyond just first cousins. But uh, I don't know if that ever went anywhere or not. But uh, I, I, just, I, just, I just didn't like the characters. I, there was nothing in it in the story that drew me to it. So... Uh, uh, so, uh, 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 another viewpoint. Thanks. Well, I, I'm not surprised, Alan, to hear hear you say that because I, I have to say, when when I read the book, I was I was very surprised that Sherry had picked it because I thought it was very much a, a Jewish immigrant story, and I wasn't really sure that it was going to reach a general audience. Um, so. It was interesting to me in the sense that these characters, most of the stories took place in the 40s and 50s, which is when my parents were young people. And I actually thought I recommended this book to my mother because I thought she would just love it because there were so many cultural things from that time period that I think that, that you could understand. But I don't think necessarily you had to be Jewish, but I think you had to be somebody who lived in a place let's say like Brooklyn or someplace like that, where the, the areas were divided up by different ethnicities. And, and people were not really supposed to mix with people from other backgrounds. And I was talking to my husband about this because both of us were teenagers in the 1970s and both of our parents originally came from Brooklyn. And even in the 1970s, it was very much frowned upon if you would date outside of your group. So if, you know, if I was Jewish and I would date somebody who was Catholic, that was like a big taboo. You were not really supposed to do that at all. You could be friends with some, like I could have a girlfriend who was Catholic, that was fine, but I wasn't supposed to date somebody who was Catholic. So I thought it was, she did a great job of showing that kind of environment because I really felt very strongly that, that, that kind of a thing, but I wasn't really sure if it would appeal to people whose backgrounds were, were different. So I was really surprised that, that Sherry liked the book as much as she did. Um, and I think that there was a lot of um, a lot of that in the story, like with, um, 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 what's her name, Beck went out with Tyler, and that was like a big thing you weren't supposed to do. And then Howard went out like Megan, and that was the, the same thing also. So it was, there was a very strong cultural thing. I mean, there was even some Yiddish words in it. Um, but I don't think necessarily that you had to be Jewish, but I think you had to be, let's say, maybe a second-generation person whose parents or grandparents came from another country, and you could really identify very much with, with this story. So anyway, let's see what everybody else thought. So everybody has a different opinion, you know. I found it a very good book. I really like these people, and I finished reading the book a couple of weeks ago, and I still can't get the people off of my mind. Uh, I did. I was a teenager in that uh, time period, so I kind of know uh, 
what it was like. I wasn't Jewish, but I know what the time was like. But I thought the book was about the love of family, the restriction of religion, a strong, dominating father, and a mother who was kind of bigoted about uh, people outside of the religion and hard-hearted. Uh, so they all, it was very much, very much love and very close family. But like the song, they seemed to me to be caught in a tender trap because the whole book was full of uh, lost loves, divorces, uh, disappointing uh, choices that you had to make because you had to sacrifice for the family. And as I was reading it, I thought, man, this is a sad book. How is she going to end it on an upbeat? But she never did. I didn't think. I thought it was a bittersweet book with a melancholy ending. But nevertheless, unlike others, I really got into these people because uh, I think I knew uh, people like this and I lived at that time. So I pretty much felt that I knew, knew what the book was being set in. I really liked the book, too. And I, One thing I found ironic was that I think Beck and Tyler, and Tyler was a Catholic, um, they had about the best relationship. It didn't seem like Vivi and Leo were particularly happy. They were just, like, stuck in a rut. And Ada and Mort seemed to actively not be happy, but yet Viv, um, Beck was happy, and she ended up having to uh, forego Tyler, who ran right back to his wife, and she eventually ended up with Nelson, which I think was satisfactory to her. But both she and Nelson had stuck by their earlier loves, only to be dumped. Nelson, because his brother insisted he go into the family business, and Beck, because her lover, after she put him through college, just dumped her for somebody else. So you're right, LaDon, there was a lot of sadness in this book. Um, one thing I was wondering what you guys thought is, I thought it was really interesting the way the author made us wait. You found out right away that Davy had been killed, but you didn't really find out the details till probably three-fourths of the way into the book. I thought that was a nice, unlike Alan, <laughs> and I can kind of take your point, Alan. I mean, Davy's death was mentioned quite a bit, but um, it didn't hit me the same way it hit you. Okay, uh, this is great. I want to say this. We're going to be discussing, and I want to say this for a reason, Small Great Things by Jody P. Cole on Novel Ideas. And a lady's coming in, a woman of color, a dear friend of mine who studied African-American studies, who's going to guide us. And so it is with Michelle. I thank you, Michelle, for, for – you didn't pick the book. But uh, no, I'm, I'm not Jewish. But we grew up as kids in Boyle Heights. In East Los Angeles, it was not – the Jewish people were there. They were tight. A Catholic and a Jew could be friends. In fact, Sylvia Cantor of Cantor's Deli, a famous deli, she was the, one of the daughters, used to come to my grandma's and have ham. She says, don't tell my mom. She'll kill me. And then she'd go back, and my mom would go with her to the synagogue, and she'd go with mom to the Catholic church. Yes, you could do that. But if you married a Jew as a Catholic, oh, my God, the world came to an end. It doesn't now, but it did then. But the, so they were tight when I when I heard about this Jewish, I don't want to call it a ghetto community, 
on the beach and all that. That's what Boyle Heights was. We had the fish man on Friday, the vegetable man on Tuesday. Everybody knew everybody. You could go to the local grocer and, and he knew you and said, put it on grandma's tab. I'm getting this stuff that she wants. Okay. So my whole point of this is that we're getting some guidance. I don't understand the culture. On Friday, the women had to clean the house, and Ada stood up to him, to Mort, who's a pill in my book, but he would tell me, I'm, I'm following Jewish law. Does this happen today, Michelle? Is it this rigid where the man is king, and the man just says, I'm going to work, I'm coming back, and this house better be clean. I'm going to look around, and that's what it is. Um, you know, I, that, that's what I kind of wanted to compare then and now. It was a great book. Alan, I'm sorry you didn't continue. I've dropped books too because I just said, oh gosh. But Davies, when he died, they do cover Davy dying when he waved goodbye to the ice cream man who killed him, Sal. Not on purpose. Sal saw a sailboat out there. He thought Howard was in trouble. And, and he looks one instant and Davy ran under the ice cream truck. And Davy later waves to him. I was crying. I was hysterical. Nina was a lesbian. Yes, Howard, I think, kind of liked her or wanted to. He was hard on her. But and he he really calls her a dyke later in the book. All kinds of things. Megan was a Catholic. No way was it going to happen. And the last thing I want to say is I went to Marshall High, which was predominantly Jewish, and learned a little bit about the Seder and stuff. And then I went on to um, UCLA. And there's when you learn about Judaism. You know, it's a little of it. I still don't know all of it, but um, uh, th- there's where I learned a great deal from the Jewish students that would explain it to us. Thank you. Thanks for bearing with me. But I, I love this book. Yeah, I mean, there's really a lot to talk about with this book, and I think that both Bob and Ladon really hit it on the head because I think that what it is was a book that transported you back to the 40s and 50s. And I think if you were a young person at that time, I think that you could very, very easily identify with that. Um, I I was not around then, but I can identify with, with the feeling of that time period from what my parents have told me. So I, I thought I couldn't really find out if Elizabeth Pliner was Jewish, but I can't see how she's not because, you know, she really, really did that very, very well. I mean, um, I, I think that um, my experience in Jewish families is actually most of the families are very matriarchal, that the mother is really in charge, not the father. And this is going back generation after generation. So I don't really know too many Jewish families where the father really, like, runs the show. It's not, it's not a common experience, even going back to, like, my grandparents' time. The mother really is kind of the center of everything. So I think that Friday night... Certainly, I mean, you have to also remember that this was set at a time, and they referenced it in the book, when uh, the Israeli state had just come into into creation right after the Holocaust. So I think that Jewish people, particularly at that time, were very fearful and really wanted to stay with their own people. And it took years and years and years for people to get more comfortable to mix with Christian people because um, they were afraid, and, and rightfully so. Um, and I also think that, that one of the reasons why the interfaith relationships didn't work out in the story is because both Beck and Howard made vows because of Davy's death. Um, Beck 
had a relationship with Tyler, but she made a vow when Davy was sick, and she promised God that she would give up Tyler if Davy lived. And even though Davy didn't end up living, he lived for a certain amount of times, and she went along with her vow. And the same thing with Howard. He liked Megan, but after Davy's death, he decided to become a doctor, and he married Marjorie, who was Jewish. And I think that, that... not that they necessarily would have ended up in interfaith relationships, but I think Davy's death definitely played played a role um, in um, in that situation. So it was very. I mean, I'm really happy to hear that that people like the book because sometimes when I read these stories, I do wonder if they only appeal to people who really can understand them from their own personal experience. But I think she did a good job of sort of conveying the the feeling of that time period that you really could could you know understand what was what was what it was like uh yes he's talked she talked a lot about davy and um the book jumped back and forth uh between 1948 1926 1999 and um one time when she jumped back and started talking about davy i thought oh she's gonna kill davy all over again in this chapter but Many people that I've known kind of get uh, confused a little bit. I can't follow a book that jumps back and forth like that throughout from one time to another time and back and forth. But that didn't bother me in this book. But I wonder what you thought uh, uh, about the change. Uh, She spoke in um, first-person narration and then would uh, slip over to third-person narration and back and forth. And when she go to third person narration I thought how how does she know this stuff uh how she couldn't know this stuff so I just had to get used to sometimes it was her talking and her remembrance and sometimes it was a third person narrator it's interesting that you would mention the third person I didn't even remember that there was any third person I guess when I read those parts I thought she was I think we just lost our uh, yeah, I think LaDonna's right, uh, absolutely, and I wondered, how does she know what's in their heads? But she became the, the outside third party, you know, the narrator, instead of I, 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 I have to be in everything. She, she became, uh, she would, she would later, did you want? But she would be the out, you know, saying she felt this way and Beck felt that way and so on. Oh no, it was a powerful book. Family love was very powerful. And I, I was shocked too when, she said, I have to go help my mother, Tyler. That's it. She's lost Davy. And it was a big deal. This is a son. My son, the pitcher. I remember Sandy Koufax wasn't going to pitch the seventh game of the World Series uh, because he was Jewish. He says, I'm not pitching. And they, they said, my son, the pitcher, he won't do it. It's a, it's a powerful culture. It really, really is. And, uh, uh, Davey was influ- changed their lives. You know, Howard said, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to save people. I'm going to be a doctor. And he worked to exhaustion and dies of a heart attack because he's working, working, working to save children that won't die. That's what I remember about him. And Tyler, yeah, he'd stick with a Catholic wife. Ultimately, I, I didn't, wasn't surprised that he'd go back and she had a baby. And, uh, Beck still said, I got to take care of, uh, my sister. You know, I've got to go, I've got to run back. Uh, let me give two examples. I forgot one at UCLA. I had a reader and a friend who, who was dating a Jewish girl and he really liked her till grandma, grandmother sat him down one night and said, she will not marry you. She's going to marry a nice Jewish boy. 
And that is it. And this kid was very nice, but he was a Gentile, gentle. He would have been a good husband for, but the grandmother killed it. And he, I said, how are you and so-and-so doing? We're broken up. My grandma broke it up and the family stood against me. And I can't, you know, I really, I love her, but I'm going to let go because they, I'll be fighting them tooth and nail. And uh, that was, that was the one thing. So I don't remember the second I had a senior moment, but no, I'm, I'm really wired on this book. I hope, Alan, you'll finish it because you have a lot of great insights and you don't necessarily have to be. You may not understand as I don't. I, I remember my Weight Watcher lecture used to go. She was Jewish, went to mother-in-law's and they had spleen for eight years straight every Friday night. And the husband, her, her husband hated spleen, but he didn't have the courage to tell his mother that he hated spleen. And she was, it was a cultural thing, and she explained it to us in Weight Watchers. I couldn't believe it. I think, like Michelle said, if you have a certain background, you can identify more with the cultural things being presented in the book. But I think the basic story transcends religion. Um, I think it could have been written about a Catholic family at the time or any other kind of family. And I think I like the, just the family dynamics and the story itself. Um, and... I forgot what I was going to say. I don't know if you guys heard me before when I said that I thought Molly was the least known character, even though she was the narrator. I also thought it was really nice that Sal went to extremes to try to retribute, you know, to try to make up for what he Somebody wanted the key. I'm backing up here. Yes, it's Michelle. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm really, I'm glad that people can empathize with the story um, and I think that's look if you read a book about a, a group that's not your ethnicity or your background obviously you're not going to understand it 100% the same way as somebody who grew up with this and this is all their experiences but I think that she you know there were a lot of things that, that you could definitely um, relate to in the story um, what was I going to say? Um, I guess, you know, I wondered why she decided to have this book narrated by Molly. I, I was really thinking about that because I thought, you know, maybe it would have made more sense to have it narrated by one of the, the three sisters who I kind of saw as the main characters, Ada and or Vivi or Beck, but she actually had it narrated by Molly, who we really didn't hardly learn anything about till almost the end of the story when she and Beck decide to open up a, a women's clothing shop together. So I think maybe she wanted somebody who was from a second generation as opposed to a first generation um, because the experiences are different. I mean, I'm on my father's side, I'm third generation American, and on my mother's side, I'm fourth generation American. And the experiences are really, really different because my grandparents and even my parents, when they were growing up, they spoke Yiddish in the house. They spoke English, you know, outside of the house in school, but my, both of my parents spoke Yiddish fluently. Um, and when I was growing up, when they wanted to say something in front of the kids, they would talk to each other in Yiddish, but I don't know more than maybe 10 words in Yiddish because I didn't grow up in a house that people spoke Yiddish at home. So what happens is eventually all those customs and all those ways of being, they sort of die out because, um, you know, people just become more American. They, they, English becomes their primary language and all of these customs. And I think even the things like Friday night dinners – Unless you're a particularly religious person, when my grandparents were younger, that was like, you know, you did that. But by the time it came to my generation, or even when I was growing up, we really didn't have 
those kind of customs. So I think a lot of it is, you know, when you come over, people bond together, they help each other a lot, and eventually people become more established and and they tend to lose a, a lot of these customs. So I think that's why they decided to have the book narrated by Molly because I think if it had been narrated by one of the sisters, the three sisters, it would have been much more of an immigrant story, I think. Um, I don't know. Well, it couldn't have been narrated by one of the sisters because by the end of the book, they were all dead. So, But uh, there was something that happened in the book, and I got three, maybe four hints. And I wanted to ask you guys, did you miss this? Because I missed it. In one of the scenes, uh, Molly and Davy and Nina are hiding behind a wall, and they're watching Howard with his girlfriend. And Howard kisses the girlfriend, and Nina gets really upset. And uh, I thought, oh, she's getting upset because she wishes that Howard was kissing her. But no, really, she was uh, getting upset because she was being turned on by the girl. But I didn't catch that. And then uh, another place that uh, she was reading, uh, Nina was reading the book about the girls on the island and how free they were with love and they could experiment with other girls and she thought that would be something and I, that I thought, uh-oh, these girls are going to kind of get familiar, but they didn't. Then, of course, Howard did at one point call Nina a dyke, but I thought, how awful of that of you. Uh, it's just terrible and I, I still didn't catch the hand. And then uh, when uh, Nina felt guilty because what she said seemed to have been part of what caused Davy to get killed. And she's sitting at the table with uh, her mother, and she says, Mom, something's wrong with me. And I'm, that hurt my heart. I felt so bad for that girl. And in 1948, when you had feelings like that, they thought something was wrong with you. And I felt so bad for her. But those three times, I never caught it. I never caught that she was a lesbian. And, and that did you? Okay. By the way, I want to say before I, a senior moment hits, LaDon wrote a beautiful review in DB Review on this book. It was really good. No, LaDon, I caught it when she said, there's something I have to tell you, Mom, about me. That's when I caught it. I didn't realize, and you make a good point, yes, Megan's kissing Howard and she wants Megan. I I thought for a long time that well, she likes Howard and he likes her. That's why he's putting her down and that's what boys did. You know, you, you were hard on a girl you were trying to get her attention and you're mean to her but you end up marrying her. But no, I thought Nina was wonderful by the way. I, I really like her as a character and uh, but no, I didn't I didn't catch it till then. I said, oh my goodness and then it became more and more um, obvious I think Molly uh, had to be one step away. I think Michelle's absolutely right that she had to provide that, that objectivity a little bit. My parents, too, spoke. My grandmother spoke nothing but Spanish. Parents spoke Spanish when they didn't want us to know something, but we, I learned to understand it. My brother, uh, no, sister, yes, and we, you know, we could understand it, but not speak it because right or wrong, and I would be put down by some. My parents said, we want you to learn English. You're American, and be proud of it, and be proud of your roots, yes, but you're American first now. You're an American, 
And uh, so I understand exactly what Michelle, yes, yeah, she heard Yiddish in the house, but she didn't speak it. And that's that's because things go forward. And the traditions, I had uh, tamales uh, the other day. And I said, it's not like mom's. Ruth Ann said, I'm sorry. You know, mom is gone and you'll never get them like your mom. So forget it. Just remember them because the tradition, sure, carries down, but it's not like it was. It's not like Michelle's grandmother perhaps made something. You know, uh, it's it's just what it is. That's really interesting that, that you both thought that the reason why Nina was upset when Howard was kissing Megan was because she wanted maybe to be kissing Megan herself. I didn't take it that way. I thought the reason she was upset was, and I think they were all upset for this reason, was that Howard was Jewish and Megan was Catholic. And culturally, there was just this unwritten rule that, if you were Jewish, you did not kiss somebody who was Catholic. And I think I, that's how I took it. I mean, that, when I he- heard that part of the story, I, that made sense to me because you were not supposed to be with somebody of a different faith in a romantic way. You could be friends. I had plenty of friends growing up who were Catholic, but I wasn't supposed to date somebody who was Catholic. That was just the unwritten rule that, you know, and people did. But when they did, people would gossip about them. They would talk about them. It was not something that went unnoticed. Um, going back to an earlier part of the story towards the beginning, do you remember when Ada got together with Mort and Mort had been dating Vivian and Vivian was not feeling well? Did you think that Ada stole Mort from Vivian? Um, or did you think that maybe Mort just liked Ada very much? I wasn't really sure. What, what did you all think? I agree with Michelle. When um, I when Nina was watching them kiss, I took it the same way, that she was upset because of the interreligion stuff. However, in retrospect, when she told her mom there was something wrong with her, then I did realize that that's probably what she was talking about. I thought the author handled the whole lesbian thing very well. And in fact, Nina, sad to say, ended up marrying a man and being unhappy. Um, I did not think that Ada stole more necessarily. I thought it was kind of interesting that in the long run i think vivian got the better guy yeah i uh that's what i thought too in in that scene that i just discussed that's what the author wanted us to look and and think i i believe and uh so we all thought that i think and we didn't catch on until at the end of the book and then we had to look back and learn her true feelings uh now ada uh she she didn't exactly steal on purpose. She didn't set out to steal. It was just that she had a bubbling uh, uh, personality, and they hit on real good. But she just kept on with him, you know, and she did take him at last, although she didn't go out to plot to do that. But Vivian sure did take it that way, didn't she, and not speak to her sister for, for years after that. Absolutely, Vivian took it. She She believed that uh, it would always believe that Ada stole him. I liked Ada at first. She was bubbly, but man, she was really prejudiced though. She, I mean, it's not just, uh, he's a cap, Megan's a Catholic girl and no, she's sort of responsible. I hate to say it, 
But she's got to bear responsibility for Davy's dying. Besides Nina saying, I don't know. What did Nina say? I don't know where he went or over there or something. Yeah. And, and she was more worried about uh, her, who she was. But, but then what does Ada do? Leap up into the air, race down the street, doesn't worry about her little boy. The children are all following her. And she says, I got to stop him. Howard, stop. Don't go to her house. No. She was absolutely ridiculous. And um, I also want to say, no, Morton was a Morton was a loser. I'm telling, he was. I I I don't know, but I know about Jewish law, but it wouldn't make it today because women would stand up and say, "You help us clean the house. You do the dishes. I'll cook. You do the dishes, and so forth." And he was awful. He was worse than all of them. But remember the dialogue. Was it after Davy had died? They're they're sitting together between Vivian and um, Ada. And the other, and Beck was in it too a little. And they really went at, Ada was screaming at him and saying, it's your fault, your fault. I think Vivian finally said, no, it's some of your fault. Davy was following you and he wasn't looking and, and all the, the children. I thought Ada had lost her mind. I, I liked Ada at the beginning. She was bubbly and great, but man, did she grow rigid and, uh, maybe living with Morton, but he was, he was nuts. I have no, I don't like Morton at all. Yeah, I didn't like either of them either. And I always find it ironic when somebody of a minority group is so bigoted against other minority groups. Michelle and I talked about this a bit. And as she said, a lot of people lived in their own insular groups back then and did think ill of all the other groups. But Ada's attitude seemed, I mean, none of the other people wanted their children to marry someone outside the faith. But Ada also had nasty things to say about other people. Italians, I think she criticized them, blacks perhaps. And yeah, I didn't like her at all either. And I think too that really no one was to blame for Davy's death. It was an, a total accident. Any one of a number of things could have happened differently if he would have lived. Yeah, that's why I, it, when I began, began this, I said that uh, Ada was hard-hearted when she was running down there, she says, not under my roof, not under my roof. I think if Howard wanted to stick with that girl, that uh, he would have had to left, leave the family because that girl couldn't be anywhere around and, and it just wasn't going to happen under her roof. So she was really hard-hearted, I thought, and she had uh, those thoughts about other, my other, uh, and that's, I can't say that word. Ethnicities, other people, and she was she was really bad. The accident wasn't anybody's fault. No one caused it on purpose. You know, uh, any little thing could have uh, gone different if uh, Beck hadn't stooped down and opened her arms and called Davy to come here. That wouldn't have happened if uh, the driver hadn't glanced to the side to see what was going on it wouldn't happen if Ada hadn't run down there yelling and if the other people hadn't come with her would cause such a commotion it wouldn't happen accidents are like that you know if it's an accident no one no you couldn't say this led to it and that led to it but no one was at fault well I, I agree I think that it was an accident and I think that Sal was was genuinely remorseful I mean he went to the hospital he he tried to you know to to express his his real remorse and I and I think you you really had the sense that it was it was a true accident um, it was a terrible thing but it was it was definitely an accident um, I think that you know one thing that I wondered 
when we were discussing this book for this group was because we have people from all over the United States, um, you know, like I said, I didn't think that this book would really play that well to a general audience. I mean, I, I felt like if I read this book in a New York City book group, that everybody in the, in the book group would understand that this is the way that life was in New York City in the 40s and 50s, that wherever you went all over New York City, that you had the Italian neighborhood, and you had the black neighborhood, and you had the Irish neighborhood, and you had the Jewish neighborhood, and you had the WASP neighborhood, and you had all the different ethnicities, and people generally just didn't mix. I mean, they weren't like the giant supermarkets and whatever. There was the butcher shop and there was the fish store and there were all the little stores that everybody went to and people really stayed in their neighborhoods. And that's why I really wondered how well this book would be understood on an immigrant level, I felt, by a general audience. Because I think that if you grow up in a place that's pretty homogeneous and you don't really mix with people from other backgrounds, I don't know if you can understand the pressure that's put on people at that time to stay within their community. Um, Ada, while certainly not a pleasant person, seemed very typical to me because it's not, it's not language that was unfamiliar to me. People really believed that you should stay with your own people. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that this is the right way. I'm just saying that's how it was at that time. And I wondered if you went to, you know, some other part of the United States where there really wasn't so many different ethnicities, how easy it would be to, to understand that. Um, and the other point that I wanted to make was I, I did feel that this book really did well at showing what women's options were at that time because you could see that they really pushed you towards marriage and family, even though um, the first generation, Vivian worked as a doctor's receptionist and Becca worked as a seamstress. Um, and by the time you got to the second generation, Nina was a college professor. And in the first generation, although she was a minor character, there was the character of Minnie who um, decided not to marry Nelson because her father actually wanted her to be a doctor. And I thought, wow, that was pretty rare because it wasn't typical at that time for a father wanting their daughter to be a doctor. But, and then in the second generation, Becca and Molly decided to open a women's clothing store. So you could see that there were really a lot of women in this story who worked, but there was a lot of pressure um, you know, towards marriage and, and towards family. Um, less so, I think, as the years went along, but still quite a bit of pressure. And I guess we ask, is the same pressure, does it exist today in the Jewish culture? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, we have ecumenicism with the Catholics, where the Pope and the Pope forgave the Jews, although it was Romans who crucified Christ, but, you know, small small mistake in history. The Jewish Jews may have cheered, but the Romans did it. But uh, the Pope said, I, we forgive you. It's more open now. It's better than it used to be because if you were marrying a Jewish girl, uh, oh, boy, the, both the rabbi and the priest would take off. They, would, they wouldn't they uh, would do it. Uh, yeah, good point. Uh, I'm certainly not conversant with the, the Jewish faith, but we grew up with Boyle Heights experience. Um, one kid that we knew became a congressman later in life. You know, we, we played uh, baseball with him. He was a good guy. You know, and uh, we really didn't get into. He'd just say, well, "We're going to have a seder. You want to come? Sure. What do we do? You know." And it was just one of, "Well, we're going to have a, a fiesta, a Mexican fiesta. You want to come? Sure." 
it was uh, but mostly they they stayed with their own and we did too you know so i can i can see that um ada yeah ada was not okay i, I it was an accident you're you're absolutely right but i'm talking from the perspective that ada was blaming everybody else but herself when she forgot to say, yeah, but I leaped out of the house and Davy was scared and, and everybody, all the children were following her to the beach and she's trying to stop Howard from going to see this girl and he wasn't even going there. They were sailing. He and Mark, you know, and so forth. So, um, I'm not saying she's, she's solely responsible, but she's blaming everybody else. And, uh, and that wasn't good. Nelson marrying, um, Beck, was it? Yeah, uh, was a comfortable marriage. He gave her peace. This this other guy, Tyler, no, he would have been guilty. And I guess I want to ask the question, and I because I I haven't lost a child in that manner. Would guilt be so tough? Is is this unique to the Jewish community that that no, I'm going to be a doctor to save the son that died of whatever it was, or I, I'm guilty? Beck says, I'm. Oh my God, I caused it. My arms were open, and I said, Come ahead, Davy. So I I've got to you know drop my drop it, Alan. I mean, Alan Howard dropped Megan. He was going to do it anyway, but he scorned her. Um, is this a common? Would this happen? I guess I have an experience that I hope I never do lose a child. They say that's the worst thing that can happen. So I, I'm just curious about that. Would the guilt permeate through generations as this book seemed to do? Well, um, it's interesting that what Michelle was saying about, you know, a lot of diversity and people sticking to their own. I grew up with the other extreme in a small Midwestern town with virtually no diversity. And yet the same attitudes, I saw the same attitudes in a lot of people. They don't want you to go to college and date a black guy or a Jewish guy or a Mexican guy. It was the same kind of attitude. So I think, um, sad to say, some people just have those attitudes and it's kind of universal regardless of whether you grow up in a diverse um, atmosphere or not. I used to think that people that grew up with more diversity were probably less bigoted, but apparently that's not really the case, sad to say. Um, I also wanted to say that we haven't talked about Leo much, and I, Leo was probably my favorite character. He, he made a point of telling everybody to quit blaming each other. He was quiet. He was respectful. I, I, he didn't get a lot of play because he was so quiet, but I thought he was a really decent man. Yes, uh, about could people understand that who did not grow up with uh, that inessity kind of things. And I can't say that word. Anyway, uh, I grew up where I grew up. We were all wasps. And so we were all alike and we didn't have any of that at all. But still, I can relate very, very good with those people. I, I could understand. I could put myself in their position, I think, and understand what was going on, even though... That isn't part of my life uh, in real life, but uh, I'm kind of a voyeur, sitting watching people over people's uh, shoulder, what, how they're living their life, and I could really relate to those people 100%. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I was just going to mention, I know Bob mentioned Sandy Koufax earlier, and if we go back even further in time from that, um, when Hank Greenberg was going to be in the World Series, um, one of the games that was going to be played was supposed to be on Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur in the Jewish religion is the most holiest day, the most religious day. And Hank Greenberg was not a religious man, but he actually went to a synagogue and he spoke to a rabbi and he decided to sit out that game. And the thing that's interesting about that for Jewish people is that 
the, let's say a game was going to be played on Christmas, and somebody who was a Christian would say, well, I, you know, or Easter, or whatever is the most holy day, I, I honestly don't know, but whatever is Good Friday or whatever the day is, Christian people would understand that, well, they're a Christian person, and of course they can't play, but there was a real backlash when Hank Greenberg wanted to do this because most people didn't understand that Yom Kippur was the most religious day, and he really felt like he was representing his people, and he couldn't do this, even though he was not a religious person. So um, I think what Sherry's saying, I understand what she's saying. I mean, I think when you grow up where there's no diversity, uh, a lot of times people are fearful of people who are different, or they just don't want to deal with it, or whatever the reason is. So there's sort of a generalized feeling that you don't date anybody who's not just like you. But I think if you grow up in a place where there's a lot of different ethnicities, you know, it's not so much that you just tend to stay with your own because there's just, there's a feeling, and thankfully, I don't think it really exists that much anymore, but there was a time in the 40s and 50s when it, there really was a lot of diversity in these city places, and people just just generally stayed with their, their own people, and I don't think that, you know, it was sort of just understood that you stay with, with your own people. Um, and I'm glad that it's not really that way anymore. I like the fact that people mix with other people. I think it's really important to go out of your, your, your group. And even reading a book like this made me a little uncomfortable because I understand this attitude, but I don't, I don't particularly like, you know, like this attitude at all. Um, anyway, I think that um, Don hasn't had a chance to talk and Ruth Ann as well and I'm not sure if we're missing anybody else so if you guys wanted to say that anything you know please please jump in she, Ruth Ann says not really she's I'm not saying it for her no I, I just want to uh, I really enjoyed this book and uh, I'm kind of still reading some of it because I got some of it in pieces but it uh, so many of the things were like they were you know in the 40s and 50s and things and I'm going to cheat since I've talked a lot, but I want to hear what Don says. I'm going to probably start something. We're getting better, but there's still the blind ghetto, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we, we went to many years to an old-time radio event in New York, and they had the blind table. Okay, a ready-made excuse. We had 500 people. It was buffet, Okay. We wanted to sit with our friends, sighted friends who knew old-time radio. That's one thing we had in common. That jumped over all the barriers. But staff said, no, you got to sit here because we'll serve you. Now, logically, maybe they're right. But it was still the blind ghetto to the extent our table started winning raffles. And the the, 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 the chair of this old-time radio event says, table two will not win any more more." prizes and we didn't i don't know what he did but you even when you want to mix you know it's difficult secondly when i was in school they always told us when we went to public school a special ed don't hang around with other blind people oh my god we knew them since the first grade sighted guys hung around with their friends and i said why because people will think you're blind well that's what we were and i i have friends since the first grade i wasn't supposed to talk to them all day at school it was nuts we're getting better. I agree with Michelle. We're getting better, but we've got a ways to go yet, especially after the last election, but that's another story. Yes, I wonder 
what you guys think about the ending, I called it a melancholy ending, where uh, Molly, it's 1999, and she's inherited a house from Beck, who has just died. She's the last of the generation to die. But we learn that Beck and Nelson had been married for so many long years, but they probably never slept together as husband and wife. They probably had separate bedrooms upstairs because they would never let anyone go upstairs at all. So they did have a a life, but they were like a brother and sister living together where they loved each other or respected each other quite a bit. But... In 1999, Molly's been married and divorced, and she is by herself. Her cousin is the only one left of the family, and she's 3,000 miles away out on the other coast. And Molly's living there. She's inherited a house, but she's by herself. When she gets old and um, sick, she'll have no one there to help her along. When she dies, there'll be no one to mourn her uh, passing. And it just seems so melancholy. Uh, Kali, and there was one other thing, but Molly, uh, oh well, I've uh, lost that last thought. I'm going to yield to Don. You convinced me, LaDon, it did end on a melancholy nature, absolutely. Let's see if Don's there. He may wish to comment here. He's been quiet. I don't see him here. Well, I'll comment again since uh, uh, I've been listening. I don't want you all to think I'm, I'm, I'm prejudiced, and that's the reason that I didn't enjoy the book. But uh, I, I just didn't like these people. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't like them. I didn't, I, I, for me to enjoy a book, I've got to feel something for one of the characters. And the only character I really liked was Beck because, well, I liked Leo okay. Uh, I liked the fact that he was a reader and stuff. But uh, I, he didn't really get a lot of play in the six hours and 40 minutes that I read. I did like Beck because she seemed to be the only character that kind of went her own way and tried to tried to follow her heart and stuff. I didn't really get a sense that, that many other characters were doing that. They were they were following what was imposed on them, it seemed like. And uh, uh, I, I just, uh, I, I, I guarantee I'm not going to read the book because I, I don't care about these folks, and I really don't want to care to read about Davey getting hit by an ice cream truck. Uh, but, uh, so, yeah, so there you go. I'm back. I got kicked out again. I don't know if anyone responded to this, but Bob asked earlier if, we thought that guilt transcended cultural background. And I can say from working as a therapist that I've seen guilt in all different kinds of background, from a child dying especially. Everybody seems to find a way to blame themselves, something they could have done different, called the doctor earlier, just all kinds of stuff. It is really sad, but people don't seem to be able to accept just an accident. They seem to need to assess blame to someone. And in Morton, for example, this is why I don't like him either, Leo threw up when he had his hot dog. He got sick. And he said, if you hadn't thrown up, I could have saved Davy. That's what that's where the author was great. That what if, what if, what if. And I like Davy. He didn't hurt anybody. I like Molly. What did she do wrong? I mean, she got a divorce from Mark and all that, but people do that. Uh, Nina was a college professor and lived her own life. She was a, a lesbian relationship. Uh, yet didn't she have a child or something, but and, and her lover lived a couple blocks away. And I'm not sure. Did, I thought Nelson and Beck did sleep together. Didn't uh, didn't Molly or Nina, one of them went upstairs and saw one bedroom and a bed. Where did Nelson sleep? On the floor? Uh, you know, I, I don't know that. I thought they didn't sleep together either. And, uh, you know, and Beck's never going to love 
Nelson like she did um, Tyler. So, uh, but it was most interesting. Just a great book. You know, I I thought that Davy's death had a really profound effect on a lot of people in this family. They seem to be a, a relatively close knit family, um, and and I think that sometimes people, you know, have and I think that the people that it affected were people that were involved in, in interfaith relationships. And I think that there was so much guilt that Beck and Howard must have experienced being in these relationships because you can remember that Howard, I mean, he didn't introduce Megan to his family. He was kind of hiding her. And Beck was kind of hiding her relationship with Tyler as well. So they had a lot of guilt about the relationships just because of the way that the culture was at that time, the pressure that was put on them, not because the relationships were bad relationships, just because of the way society was. So I guess it wasn't surprising to me at all that they would feel like, you know, if they if they made their peace and they and they gave up these relationships that maybe God would, would you know, be good to the family and, and let uh, Davy live. So, I mean, Howard was Davy's brother, and Beck was his aunt, and it was a close relationship. So I, I don't know if it was generational grief or whatever it was. I just thought it was the, the time period. Um, and I think, Alan, maybe one of the reasons why it might have been difficult for you to empathize with these characters or, or relate to these characters was exactly what I feared when I started reading this book was that it was the kind of book that would resonate maybe with somebody who lived during the 40s and 50s and maybe not so much with somebody who was a young adult maybe in the 70s or the 80s or around there. Um, because I think that um, it is hard sometimes. You know, there, there is a big difference in the way the world was. Um, for I'll give you an example. Um, I'm the oldest in my family, and I have two brothers and a sister. My first brother, who's two years younger than me, when he was born, my parents um, gave him the middle name of Sanders because they very much wanted him to be a doctor, like all Jewish parents do. But not only did they want him to be a doctor, they wanted him to be a doctor and drop his Jewish last name and take this kind of waspy name Sanders, and his first name is Richard, and be Dr. Richard Sanders. So I think the time in the 40s and the 50s was very different than if you were a child in the 60s and 70s. There was so much... um, feeling of, of, of you know this group being separate from this group being separate from this group and I think that even society you know the 60s was such a time when, when people started coming together and recognizing civil rights of all different kinds of groups that I don't really think was there so much in the 40s and 50s so I think if you were a young adult during that time maybe it's very easy to relate to this story but if you weren't I can see how it would be a hard story for for many people to to relate to yeah there were two bedrooms in Beck's house so they probably could have slept separately but if you look back at the whole story Davy's death changed something for everybody actually when Davy died that's when everything uh, started going bad for everybody. Uh, Howard lost his girlfriend. Um, Beck had to uh, leave her, the man she was going to go off and live with. Uh, uh, just everybody, uh, even Molly, uh, married 
one of the friends, but she got a div- divorce because they all felt they all felt guilty in some way. But if you look at the book and think about it, that one 1948 time when Davy got killed changed life for everybody. Every every character in the book had a real significant life change at that very moment. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I'm not really sure. I mean, I enjoy books probably, or you know, I identify more with books that that are set during the time period where I grew up. But, I mean, I've liked a lot of characters from books that that aren't from that time, too. So uh, I'm not sure that that was actually my my problem with it. I just just didn't care about any of these people, and it, it I don't think it really was because of uh, the time period. I think it's just because I just didn't like the way the characters were drawn. Uh, like I said, I liked Beck pretty good, uh, uh, but but she seemed to be the only one that uh, uh, seemed to have any kind of gumption and, and seemed to be kind of doing anything on her own. The, uh, the rest of the folks uh, I didn't care that much for. And like I said, you know, if you don't like characters and and you're getting the day-to-day minutiae of what what they're living, especially two generations worth uh, of like all the sisters and their relationships and stuff, which you did in this book, it's kind of hard to get through it and stuff. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, what was I gonna say? The uh, uh, senior moment. Sorry. Well, I know we're getting late here, but. I ask you, Alan, only read when Davy is dying and Sal comes to the hospital. That was extremely moving. It's whatever. What I, you will not stop reading it by saying, "I hate all these people here." You won't hate them all. You won't hate them all. Sal, he pays money. He takes from his, you know, restitution, trying to make it up. He couldn't make it up, but he he it changed his life. He dropped being an ice cream man. He. What did he work for? A janitor, was it? Uh, every and and Ladon ought to be a book reviewer because that was a critical. When Davy died, the path of that family went downhill after that. It changed radically. I'd have to agree um, that you don't have to identify with the characters. I certainly didn't grow up in the '40s or anything, and I'm not Jewish. But I, I mean, I read historical fiction about you know, Civil War times or Roman times, I certainly can't identify with that, but I can still certainly really enjoy the book. To me, it depends on if the characters are well-developed. And I guess, to Alan's point, I don't necessarily have to like the characters to like the book, although it does help. And I, I agree that you probably would really like Sal if you read that part, but I doubt it's worth your time to fast forward through and try to find it. Just take our word for it. It was a really sad, moving moment when Sal hit him and felt so bad he gave up his entire beloved career as an ice cream man. Uh, yeah, I thought the characters were very well drawn in the story. I, I really had a very easy time picturing all the characters. For the most part, they were distinct from one another. Sometimes some of the male characters I, I don't always think were as vivid. I thought Howard was pretty vivid. You know, he was a flirt and, you know, he, he had a real strong sense of who he was um, and Mort as well. Um, sometimes with Leo and Nelson, I didn't think they were as well developed, although we got to know Leo a little bit. Um, the female characters to me were all very, very distinct um, and, I, and I liked 
sort of glimpses. I like when we went to the office with Vivi and when we went to the office with Beck. I, I kind of liked all the, the little scenes where we got to see them, you know, outside of the family as well. So I, I thought that was pretty good. Um, I'm just going to mention our, our next book. Um, the next time we're meeting is four weeks from today, which is February 2nd. Um, and the book is, is um, it's like a, a romance family story. Um, it's called, it, it sounds like a cooking book, but it's a novel. Um, it's called The City Baker's Guide to Country Living. So it definitely sounds like a cookbook, but it's not. It's a novel. Um, and the author is Louise Miller, M-I-L-L-E-R. Um, of course, I don't have the DB number, but it's a pretty recent book. Um, so it's called The City Baker's Guide to Country Living. It's by Louise Miller. I think it was about 11, 12 hours, something like that. It might even be a little bit less than that. Um, I read it a while ago. I thought it was a really nice story. It's not a really heavy story. It's kind of a light story. So, um, you know, there's characters and there's issues and stuff to discuss, but it's not like one of the sometimes we read really heavy books. This is not a, this is a, a little bit lighter book. Um, I'm also going to give a plug for your group, Alan. I just finished today. Um, the Wife, the Maid, and the Mistress, which I thought was excellent. It's a really good historical fiction book, so I would suggest that, that you all read that book as well. Uh, I'll, I'll agree that the characters were well well drawn. I just didn't like the way they were drawn. Uh, and I, I really didn't like Ada because, I mean, I can't really say she stole Mort from Viv, but yeah, I, I, I I just got a real problem with the sister that, that that would do what she was doing and not be forthcoming with her sister, which she certainly wasn't forthcoming with her. She was uh, playing it on the sly and stuff. So uh, uh, maybe that's what put a bad taste in my mouth about the beginning of the book and uh, since that was early on. and uh, uh, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I just didn't like it. Okay. Uh, but But that's fine, you know. My opinion and a dollar will get me my choice at the Dollar Tree. Uh, the DB number for next month's book is 85266. That's 85266. And I put the title, author, and DB number up in the chat window if somebody wants to cut and paste it. And I double-checked. It was about 10 hours, which is uh, a nice length. I just wanted to slip one really last comment in here. Uh, and uh, I, Alan may not have liked this book because the author didn't speak to him. You know, sometimes you uh, open a book and the style and the way it's written just grabs you from the first or second page. And it's the way the author is speaking to you. The author creates all these characters and all these situations. And if you don't have the feeling that she or he is speaking to you, you're very likely not to like the book or anything about it, any character or why do you care? Because the author has failed to communicate to you. And it's I, I believe it may have been the style of writing that didn't turn Alan on and the reason he didn't like the book. I don't know, but I think maybe that might have been. Oh, that's such an excellent point. I remember in a book club, they read the Odyssey. I lasted about three pages, and another guy came on and loved it, quoting line by line by line. I said, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I think the author's got to speak to you. I don't care. You know, David Baldacci and, and uh, Lee Child, speak to me. 
It doesn't, he, they don't speak for my wife, I don't think. She says, no, you know. So that's a very, very good point. Excellent discussion to our hostesses here. Really good. It sounds like a cookbook. I'll find out if there's a recipe in it. I'm stopping. <laughs> well, I think Alan's point is good. I mean, sometimes if you read a character and you just despise them so much, you just can't continue. I, I've had that happen, too. Well, I mean, the classic book that I always think of with that is Lolita, which is a, a beautifully, beautifully written story, but such a despicable character. I mean, you're not going to get a worse character than, than, than in that story, but really beautifully written story draws you right in, but it's a, it's a horrible story. Um, I also wanted to ask uh, Ruth Ann and Don, if you guys are still here, if you want to mention the books for, for your group as well. Uh, yeah, um, we're going to be reading Small Great Things, which is uh, by Jody Picoult. I don't have the number with me right now, but it is a story uh, which really looks at uh, racism in a or in, in how uh, in, in quite a different way. I mean, the, the end has a quite an interesting twist, but it's a story about a nurse uh, who is told she is not to look after a baby. She's black. Because she's a black woman. She's not to care for the baby or take oh. care of the mother. And uh, That's where it things starts. kind of get uh, very, uh, take some interesting twists. The, uh, okay. it, uh, it, it's very interesting. Uh, the characters are um, a skinhead uh, and his wife, who absolutely is a, really a, a character, but you find some very interesting characters, and uh, the book is Wrap very thought-provoking. Oh, it's a very powerful book, and she's speaking, she says in her notes at the end, I'm speaking to white America. No, she's wrong. She's speaking to all of us, and you know, it's it's it yeah. really was the best book that I have read in a long time. I must say that. I only want to say this about the, the wife, the maid, the mistress, whatever. I'm reading it. Great book. But man, do I not like a lot of those characters. But the plot is holding me. Uh, there's, I could list you. I won't. And I don't know if I'll be there because football. We'll see. Oh. But I'm going to read the book. Maybe I'll sneak in. Maybe it's halftime. Because when I read the book, I like to go to them, of course. But uh, I don't like a lot of those characters. But the author writes so well that uh, Alan hit a home run with the book. Okay, may I officially stop the recording, Madam Hostesses? I don't have a backup recording, Bob. I got kicked out of the room probably a dozen times and had to reboot and stuff like that. So I have no backup. So hopefully your recording works fine. Um, I guess I'll have to download the um, the recording of this to hear what people said and what I missed. But thanks, everybody, for participating. It was a really good discussion. And Mickey's the one that picked uh, the wife, the maid, and the mistress. I don't get any credit for that. So I hope you all will read it and come, though. So I'm reading it now. So. Thanks for the discussion. Uh, I didn't like the book, but I enjoyed your comments. And Don's book is The Slave in the Family by Edward Ball, and it's nonfiction. He traces slavery in, he was a slave owner of the family from um, 1698 to, what, eight, 1965. It's a long one, 22 hours, but that's my pal Don. He always does that, but he picks good books. We just finished the Patty Hearst book. Boy, was that good. Uh -huh. Okay, we're out of here. 
Well, thanks everybody for coming. Um, it was a really good discussion, and um, we'll we'll see you all in, in all the other book groups. So thanks so much. Good night.